The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. And on the line now, former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey, good morning. Good morning, Mitchell, and good morning to your listeners. Well, how are you going with lockdown six? Yeah, look, I think I'm pretty frustrated like everyone else. It was a very uh, brutal announcement, wasn't it, last Thursday evening? Many of us weren't expecting uh, an announcement from the government in relation to next steps, I think, until at least the weekend. So to suddenly shut down uh, business Thursday night at 8pm without any sort of advance warning, I think, was very tough for small business. I think um, maybe there's a bit of a perception shift out there, and I'm starting to think, I mean, I've always thought that lockdowns are the way to go, because if you don't put a a lid on it, you go from 10 cases to 100 to 500, and it just ratchets up. And of course, we'll never forget that day when we had about seven or 800 new cases in Victoria last year. But um, now it starts to feel almost like these lockdowns are death by a thousand cuts. When it's in and out of lockdown, it's always straight to the most aggressive restrictions, whereas last year we had a little bit more freedom. And uh, you start to wonder about some of the long-term impacts to mental health and to education and even the economy. And I just wonder, you know, for those impacts, will they ever get to a point where they're considered to be more substantial than the impacts of the virus? I know we're not there yet, but uh, if the lockdowns continue, I wonder what the limit is on how much we can lockdown? Well, I've certainly been observing uh, my children who have very young children of their own who are now homeschooling. And I'm seeing now within certainly one of my daughters who lives in Geelong, you know, with three young kids that are all now having to stay at home uh, for long periods of time. And there's a lot of wear and tear on uh, not only the physical, but the mental attitude. And I suspect that's being replicated right across the state. So it's very hard for the young that have young, they're having to homeschool and uh, organise activity within the sort of lockdown framework. And I'm sure that's having a significant impact uh, to their mental health wellbeing. But I have to say, Mitchell, the Olympics were an absolutely fantastic distraction to what otherwise I think would be a, a real significant problem in relation to mental health uh, in Australia. I mean, it's been so fantastic to see our Australian athletes do so well overseas in Tokyo and having that opportunity to see them every night on the TV going for gold, I think has just been an absolute uh, a mental health boost, if you like, in respect to what is a terrible uh, lockdown um, and having a significant impact uh, to, you know, to us all um, in, in the way it's been done. I think the challenges with lockdowns is that the news every night is broadcasting information about COVID. So it's a non-stop COVID discussion. So these sorts of things like sport add a bit of a distraction and can, I suppose, allow the news to talk about something else. Yeah, and it's something to look forward to. I mean, I've, I'm not an avid um, Olympics uh, TV watcher, but I've, I nearly watched everything I could over the, the period that um, I had access to the TV and I, I just found it. Uh, you know, a real uplift see, to see our Australians doing so well overseas or to see the competition and, and the way that our athletes behaved, both, uh, you know, on track or in the pool, uh, to the way they were communicating to us through the TV mediums or other mediums, uh, social media. I just think it's a real credit to them all. They're, they've been so mature about 
the way they've handled very difficult conditions, not not only in the climatic conditions of Tokyo, but obviously uh, within the sort of COVID restrictions they had to work in both in the lead-up to the Olympics and also the Olympics proper. So all credit to them, and, and I think it's not just those uh, gold winners that we applaud, but we applaud them all in the way they handled themselves leading up to and at the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Going back to the point that you made about the education and learning from home, I know the government was considering bringing in tutors, and I think that's what they did um, to support students because they missed a lot of school last year. I suppose it's one thing to miss almost a year of school last year, but to have all that disruption this year, two years in a row, that really compounds the issue. And you just wonder how, for some students, and particularly students that were already behind the curriculum, how they'll ever catch up. Well, I think that is a great concern and uh, I'm sure there's many parents considering using external tutors to help with the gap that's been lost in relation to, uh, you know, on-site schooling. Um, But certainly the socialisation of uh, the children, particularly at younger age, is so important in those early school years that now are being totally lost through these lockdowns. And like you... I, I have a firm view that uh, we need the lockdowns and I think Victoria's been very successful uh, in sort of curbing the transmission of COVID because of lockdowns. I know you said Bev MacArthur, I think, is coming on after me and she has a yes. different view about lockdowns. But I have to say that the, the politics and all this is that it would seem the feds were strongly against lockdowns initially and praising the New South Wales government and the way that they sort of just ring certain areas of the state uh, to stop the transmission. But I think the Victorian government has generally um, done well in stopping transmissions using the lockdowns. And I see now the Prime Minister, in fact, is even supporting the lockdowns. I'm not sure where the Victorian opposition sits with lockdowns and border closure. It's a little unclear, but I'm sure Bev will make that clear uh, when she gets on, um, but there has been a fair bit of flip-flopping in respect to how to treat and curb the transmission of COVID, and it would appear that the experience here in Victoria is, what do we have? How many cases do we have today? 11? 11, yep. Yeah, so we're still low numbers compared to New South that are sort of heading 300 upwards um, in how we've locked down the state. Having said that, though, Mitchell, I do think, and I've been around a little bit over the weekend, obviously my work, it's, a, it's part of the essential work list, enables me to go past the 5K limit that's restricted to most. That That is a real um, and very brutal barrier for regional Victoria and something I think the Andrews government needs to consider when they're considering what to do with the current lockdown in the next few days. I think regional Victoria has been unfairly penalised in... Uh, this current lockdown, and I think there is a cause uh, for um, regional Victoria to be treated differently going forward after Thursday night if there's no new cases in regional Victoria. Let's hope that's the case. I think you're right. I feel like the 5K radius disproportionately affects regional Victoria because I know in Melbourne you drive 5Ks and you've gone through about seven suburbs, whereas here in uh, uh, regional Victoria, for some people, it takes 5K or even 5K plus just to get to the nearest supermarket. Well, that's right. I mean, the local general store for many um, farming families and farming communities is well in excess of five kilometres to get any sort of service out in regional Vic, you mostly travel more than 5K. So, yes, I think that um, does need looking at, and I hope 
uh, our opposition is putting as much pressure on, um, I'm sorry, the Victorian Liberal Party opposition in the state is putting as much pressure on the current government uh, to exercise an exemption for regional Victoria, not only in the 5K rule, but there's other rules, as you talked about, maybe reducing the lockdown four restrictions to lockdown three or two for regional Vic, given we have no cases uh, that I'm aware of uh, in regional Victoria currently. Yeah, I think, I think that was a big thing last year, having the stage three instead of stage four restrictions, because you didn't have radiuses, uh, certainly no curfew in regional Victoria last year. And uh, I think a few things like that little bit of extra freedom, like I think there was no limit, for example, on the amount of time you're allowed to go outside to exercise. And there was a lot more personal uh, outdoor recreation activities that were allowed. Those little things, I think, can make a big difference when we're talking about people being locked up in their homes. Yeah, but there is, I guess the concern for us is that people in Melbourne do actually comply with the public health orders. I mean, last restrictions when we saw different areas of the state being in different restrictions zones, we had you know a severe number of people from Melbourne coming into the Geelong area where there was uh, lesser restrictions, uh, non-compliant, compliant with the uh, with the public health orders and the restrictions that they were currently living in. So. I mean, that does have to be police and that does require resources. So I can understand the police not getting excited about the fact that they have to sit on sort of uh, ring fence borders to stop people that are non-compliant in public health orders trying to get into areas that um, are less restrictive. So I understand that issue and I understand, um, you know, the uh, we all have to play by the rules. So if they're going to reduce some restrictions in regional Victoria, we expect those that are in harsher restrictions not to to try and um, to beat the system in uh, coming into those areas. I'm just and putting us at risk, I might add. Yes. Well, I just wonder what you think of uh, the situation in New South Wales. Um, Brad Hazard, their health minister, got up and spoke over the weekend. And I think the call from the journalist there was, you need to increase the level of restrictions because we're over 300 new cases a day. And his response was, well, people aren't complying with the current level of restrictions, so what's the point of increasing restriction? Uh, do you think the people in New South Wales are just less compliant than Victorians? Or is it something else at play there, like maybe they're in isn't as good. Well, I would have said yes to that yesterday, but I have to say I, I have noticed a lot of people, certainly in the area that I live in, uh, not wearing masks uh, and obviously flouting the sort of two-hour exercise rule and going about business as usual. So I'm not sure that it's uh, just the state of New South Wales that's having problems with compliance. But obviously they've got, you know, certainly in the western areas of Sydney, they've got some significant problems associated with uh, communication in some of the ethnic communities that are obviously not being compliant, particularly in the um, household rule, family household rule, where there's been a requirement to have two only, I think, at this stage, where it would appear quite a large number of migrant families do uh, assemble at um, private homes, and that's obviously against the public health orders, and I think that's some of the concerns that the, um, the respective governments have in applying those restrictions in the home. So I think there is uh, probably a high level of non-compliance, particularly in those areas of New South Wales. But that having been said, it's a bit hard to run the ruler over everyone in respect to that concern in how they treat lockdowns. But at the end of the day, I guess we'll find out, you know, coming up to this Thursday, how successful this lockdown has been in Victoria and whether, in fact, the lockdown restrictions will be extended or we might see some freeing up of regional Vic who appear to have 
been unscathed in, in respect to the uh, sort of transmission of COVID. And where are things at in terms of your um, vaccination? Because someone listening to this program thought that you said that you had received one dose of AstraZeneca and one Pfizer. Is that the case? Have, are you allowed to mix vaccines or have you had both of the same vaccine or have you only had one dose? Where are you at? Yeah, so I've had uh, one dose of AstraZeneca out at the Ford factory where I understood you were last week. And yes. um, and I pre-booked and the system seemed to work well. And I went through within the hour um, providing information prior to the booking. Uh, but I posed a question, I think, which maybe your listener was alluding to was, well, what do I do next uh, if Pfizer becomes available uh, with the antibodies I currently have with AstraZeneca? Am I better to get a Pfizer vaccine or stick with the AstraZeneca. Now, my view is if AstraZeneca is clearly available and it seems there's a large stockpile of the vaccine at the moment, I'll have that second dose of AstraZeneca, but I will make sure I have the 12-week uh, uh, break between the first and second vaccination to get full immunity or full antibody dose. So I know the Prime Minister is sort of encouraging people to have the second dose as quickly as possible. Um, outside the 12 weeks, maybe eight weeks. It's not what I'm going to do. Uh, and I understand the rules have changed about the use of AstraZeneca for people under 60 now where previously I think the Prime Minister was indicating it's best to get a GP advice uh, for those under 40, I think, to get AstraZeneca. Now it appears you can just sail into a pop-up um, vaccination centre and, and get the jab regardless of any GP Well, I think advice. the Premier said that, because uh, I watched the whole media conference, which I know glutton for punishment, I <laughs> watched that yesterday, um, but the Premier said that you'd have to talk to a GP first. So they'd be actual GPs at the vaccination hub. You would sit down and talk to them. The GP would inform you of the risks, and then uh, you can decide if you wish to freely consent to having it. So I suppose it's still getting consent from a GP, but I'm assuming the GPs that are at that clinic are going to probably say well there's risks but we still recommend you have it uh not like for example what the queensland um chief medical officer said you know we don't want another murder case on our hands was what she said about having it for younger people so i'm assuming the gps that they have at those clinics will say yes there are risks but we still suggest that it's better than not being vaccinated at all yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that because I've sort of felt there's been a lot of mixed messaging going on oh, absolutely. Uh, between all governments in respect to uh, not only the supply of vaccine, which I think everyone's still totally confused about, but the fact is uh, the access to the vaccine and who can have it and on what basis they can have it. Uh, obviously, there's some... Well, I understand the government's taken responsibility for any um, recriminations against doctors, pharmacists and anyone else administering the vaccine in respect to if there was blood clotting uh, of a... Well, the AstraZeneca particularly vaccine. Um, but I understand doctors uh, would like some public indemnity against any advice they would give in respect to that vaccine, given it hasn't had a long life. But all that aside, I think the whole vaccination rollout's been an absolute cock-up uh, from the word go, and people are still confused about it. Um, and the government uh, has really, or, and will really need to work hard to get that vaccination level to 80%. I think they're quoting in September. Yes. Um, which... In my mind, I'm not sure where we're sitting with... I'm talking about the full vaccination, not the first jab. Yes. Um, will be a big ask, uh, given people are still quite hesitant in in uh, 
you know, the use of and, and the messaging of the excess of vaccines currently available. Um, just quickly, I know that uh, you used to have responsibility in the, I think it was the opposition for transport. Just wondering what your thoughts are on the SkyRail proposal uh, through some of Geelong's key level crossings, because last weekend when we were allowed to actually go out and do things, I was in the southeast of Melbourne and going along the um, the beaches there, they've got a lot of their level crossings now converted to SkyRail in suburbs like, you know, Mordial like Aspendale and I have to say I mean it's a good way of getting rid of level crossings but it's still a bit of an eyesore in those coastal communities. Yeah it's pretty imposing isn't it um, I noticed in Melbourne a lot of people concerned um, about this sort of sky rail concept of removing um, level crossings and uh, I wasn't aware I have to say that with the duplication announcement um, of Warren Ponds to South Geelong that would include uh, sky rails as sort of rail separations for railway crossings. I, I, I'd be interested to hear the feedback from residents who perhaps have seen what's been going on in Melbourne to sort of um, think what Geelong might look like with uh, a couple of these sky rails um, having to sort of be used as, as rail separations. But um, I think it's out for public comment now, isn't it, Mitchell, um, in respect to the sort of designs that are being floated around? I'd have to check, but I do see there are, you know, computer mock-ups of the actual SkyRail, so it's clearly more than a thought bubble. Yeah, well, I think the um, railway boffins and the state government have been working overtime to come up with uh, a design that meets the uh, sort of specifications and rules around the funding, so... I guess this is one way they can see they can achieve the outcomes that were wanted both by the state and federal government in respect to the duplication of rail and also the upgrade of um, of uh, the uh, you know Marshall Station and dare I say the car parks Mitchell I did come on the mm. back of an interview you had earlier on um, where there was some discussion around the Auditor General's report in the uh, misuse if you like of government fund funding or taxpayers' money to car parks. I'm at a bit of a loss why the feds are even getting involved in car parks but mm. uh, if it's to sure up marginal seats in southeast Melbourne I think um, that will come to bite them uh, in the future particularly when you couple that with the sports rorts and a few other misdemeanours that have been going on with the pork barrelling but that aside uh, I think it's good to see that some work is finally being done to start this duplication rail process between uh, Warren Ponds and uh, East South Geelong to you know make more trains available for services when they are used because at the moment they're empty pretty well. And just last of all, um, Beverly MacArthur, I think we're very happy that you want to talk about regional road infrastructure. Well, I was interesting because I travel quite a lot on the Princess Highway West, and Beverly would well know the arguments about upgrading that particular highway going right back to Stuart MacArthur's days when he was the member for Corangabite, and that was on the agenda then with a, a number of other roads around his seat at the time. And, of course, we know um, when uh, Tony Abbott nearly killed himself when he was the Prime Minister coming to inspect a potential upgrade um, of the uh, Geelong to Winchelsea section of pavement, uh, of that Princess Highway, uh, then consequently because Corangabite went so marginal, uh, I think nearly a billion dollars was spent on that particular highway over the two sections to uh, provide um, 
a four-lane highway, that in fact all that pavement now is starting to crumble and we're seeing oh. this right across southwest Victoria where the pavement and the foundation work is starting to come undone and I notice a lot of work being done now to repave sections of that highway which would be less than seven years old, I think. So we'd expect for that sort of money you'd get um, greater consistency of material to hold uh, that road together for a longer period. But I am noticing, you know, right around regional Vic, southwest Victoria, a lot of our, our little local roads are all starting to fall to bits with obviously the heavy increasing traffic and the poor edging and probably the poor quality uh, use of material. So I just want to keep flagging that as a real problem that's going to need a lot of investment in the future. Well, thanks so much for being on the program, and uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. We say this all the time, but hopefully out of lockdown, and who knows, maybe even in the studio. I hope so, Mitchell. I mean, it's wearing everyone down, and yes. everyone's getting very frustrated, uh, both financially, mentally, socially, physically. So, yep, we, we certainly want to, um, you know, get rid of the restrictions that are currently on us. Thank you very much, Simon Ramsey there, former MP for Western Victoria Region. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.